Take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3. First and Second Timothy, as well as Titus, are what are called pastoral epistles. Paul had sons in the faith, Timothy and Titus, and he writes to these young men, helping them understand what it is to do ministry. Timothy was a young pastor, a pastor of a church in Ephesus. And the work in Ephesus was not an easy work. In fact, just a few years later, John, the revelator, describes Ephesus as the place where they lost their first love. There were a lot of distractions in Ephesus. Ephesus was the place where the worship of the goddess Diana was paramount in the culture. And the temple stood on a high hill and you couldn't go any place in the city without recognizing the focus of this religion. There was a lot of diversity in that culture. Diversity that in some ways confused the believers And Paul reminds Timothy that he has to make sure that he is giving the believers a foundation upon which they can stand and live their lives. Paul warned against false teachers. He encouraged them to keep a sharp focus, recognizing that they wouldn't keep all the people. And then at the end of 1 Timothy, Paul says, Timothy, I want you to fight the fight, the good fight of faith. It's valuable. There's something that is worth the effort. And Timothy fights that fight. You also find in 1 Timothy qualifications for leadership. Chapter 3, pastoral leadership and deacon leadership. And it's within this context that that Paul gives to us an understanding about what the church is all about. This this morning, I want to answer this question. What is this thing we call the church? What what are we talking about when we we talk about church ministry and we, we recognize this thing we call the church? I also want to answer this question. How is the church to be authentic and relevant in our culture? (laughs) What is this thing we call the church? And how are we as a body of believers to be authentic and relevant in our culture? I told you earlier that actually the third Sunday of January is designated Right to Life Sunday. But I I wanted us to meet together this morning because I wanted to make sure our students were with us. They're going to Barakal Friday, Saturday, Sunday this next week. Our students on Wednesday night have been studying this subject, social studies. But they've been studying that subject under the umbrella of what does the Bible say about our society? What does the Bible say about cultural issues? 
What does the Bible say about the things that we face in our everyday lives that we're confronted with? And I wanted to make sure that we're all on the same page as we know what the Bible says. Verse 15 of 1 Timothy chapter 3 gives to us a foundation so that we can know how we are to live our lives in this culture, in this society. Paul writes, if I delay, you may know how you ought to behave yourself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. What is this thing we call the church? Paul identifies it here for us in verse 15. And he helps us recognize it's more than just a gathering of individuals. It's more than just a sign on Capitol Avenue. It's it's more than just a fellowship. And I think it's important for us to understand, what is this thing? Paul, first of all, identifies it as the household of God. Circle that word household, will you please? Now, as you read the original language, it can mean a house. It can mean a residence. It can mean a location. But as you study the context Paul goes way beyond just a premises, beyond a a building. And what Paul is talking about here is a community, a family of believers, redeemed ones. Those who have been born again into the family of God. This is the community of God because we have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? We're part of the body of Christ. That ought to encourage you. Now, I'm not real sure as you look around you want to be part of everybody. But we are. Old, young, handsome, not so much. We're all part of the body of Christ because this thing we call the church is a community, a community of those who have been purchased, redeemed, born again. Those who have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you're not sure if you have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, would you talk to me, please? Because I sure would like to share with you. The Bible tells us that we're no longer strangers or aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And as such, you and I have been called out. We've been sanctified and separated, set apart as children of God. That makes us special. I want you to turn to the person next to you and I want you to tell them they're special.
Now, did everybody get told that you're special? Don, you're special. I'm not sure anybody told you that, okay? I'm special. Okay. Oh, I'm special, all right. <laughs> but as, as the household of God, we're special. This is a wonderful thing. Because we are a community of redeemed ones that are separated by God himself. And we're not special because of who we are. We are special because of who he is. Amen? You and I are special because God himself has called us unto himself. And given us a relationship with himself through his son Jesus Christ. And we've been born again into the family of God. This is neat. Only Christians are part of the household of God. We are special in his sight. But not only are we special, the Bible says we're also the church of the living God. Now it's important for us to identify church. The Greek word is ekklesia. It has the idea of separated ones. And it tells us about our character before God. As you think about church, think about it as a group of characters. Oh, how that's true as I look out across this congregation. But character is what describes a person, right? And our character is that we are assembled together a gathering set apart blood bought children of God the, the, the word church does not describe a place at 1625 Capitol Avenue Northeast it describes people who gather at 1625 Capitol Avenue Northeast. Those who assemble themselves together. And the character that we have is that we gather together to share in each other's lives and to worship God. I trust that you've been able to worship already this morning. Every once in a while, somebody will say, What's your worship style? My smart aleck answer, which I think is most biblical, is God. Because our worship style should not define a genre of music that we have. Or whether or not a choir sings. Our worship style ought to be about praise and honor and glory to our God. Whether therefore ye eat or drink... Or gather together at 1625 Capitol Avenue Northeast. Do all to the glory of God. Have we been able to do that this morning? I hope so. Those who lead us simply lead us in our worship to God. They don't define us. And our character is that we are assembled ones together. Because we are the assembled ones of the living God. Underline that in your Bible, will you please? Living God who is the creator 
of all things. Last year, 2018, we celebrated our 75th anniversary here in Battle Creek. Dave Spear is the one who was closest to being around from the beginning. I think. He was just a wee boy. But the reason we've been able to celebrate 75 years is because of the wonder of God working through this assembly of believers. Pastors come and pastors go. Pastor Spencer is still here. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. That's right. But it's not about the pastors. You know, deacons come and go too. Not about the deacons. People come and go. God never goes anyplace. He is with us. And he will never leave us nor forsake us. So that we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper, what shall I fear? Amen? And the next time you look around and you start to get a little edgy. Quit looking around and start looking up. Because it's all about our God. And as we gather here and you look around and you may see a seat that may be empty and you wonder what's going on. Pray for that person who's missing in that empty seat, but look up, because it's still the work of God. We're still the assembly of God. We are still gathering together because of God. Never, never forget that. This is indeed the assembly of the living God who is the giver and sustainer of life. Word living in the text is zoe. Zoologist, where life comes from. And in this dark sea of cultural relativism, we can only exist because we know that we are the assembly of saints recognizing the living God who changes not. Amen? And then what does Paul say? Household of God, assembly of the living God, pillar and buttress of truth. I told you earlier that in Ephesus, there was this big temple that sat up above the city. Temple of Diana. The temple of Diana had 120 pillars that went around. Huge, massive, marble columns that identified the temple. Those columns did a couple of things. First of all, they were there for support. 
You don't have to be an engineer to know that if you have a roof, you've got to have something to hold it up, right? And, and they were there to hold up the roof of this massive building. But there was a second reason that those particular columns were there. Those particular columns identified leaders within the community and the world. Each one of those columns reminded the people of an authority that was there to give direction. We are the pillar of truth. That which holds up the roof, but that which also identifies an authority in our lives. Amen? All scripture is given by inspiration of? Let me give you the answer to that. The word is God. All right, so I'm going to quote it again, and you can give it back to me, all right? Here we go. All scripture is given by inspiration of? He is the authority. He is the one who holds it all up. And without God, it wouldn't be anything. And the pillar represents not only support, but it also represents an authority. And then Paul says, it's a buttress. A buttress is that which is foundational. It's the only place in the New Testament that this word is used. And it's foundational. And as they looked at that, that wonderful edifice that identified a false god, they saw that which gave support to that which was authority, but they also saw it was foundation. It wasn't going any place. I want you to know that the church of the living God, the assembly, assembled ones of the living God, aren't going any place until God takes us all home together. Even so come Lord Jesus. But there's a quality here that we must not miss. And that is the last word in that sentence. Look at it. Household of God, church of the living God, pillar and buttress of truth, divine revelation. Truth. Truth that gives to us the recognition that it is unchangeable, immovable, unshakable, undeniable, because it is truth. I appreciate it when you folks go away and come back. I, I really appreciate it when you come back. But many times, you'll, you'll bring me a bulletin. I don't know if that's so I know you went to church. Or if you just want me to see what's going on in other churches, I, I appreciate that. So, somebody gave me in a bulletin, and I read this on Wednesday night, from Emmanuel Baptist Church in Naperville, Illinois. I don't remember who that was. I would give you credit if I remembered, but I don't. 
But there's a little poem in it from David Vanderpool that says this. It's so easy in this day where compromise abounds to redefine the truth until we like the way it sounds. But truth is not negotiable. No, not at any cost. For when we start to alter it, to us, the truth gets lost. It may seem insignificant to change in some small ways, but when truth is sacrificed, grace consequence it brings. God's word is built on principles, not preferences of men. They must apply to all of life and not just now and then. If we are to be the church and be the light that shines, truth must dictate how we live and not our own design. Because truth is not negotiable. No, not in any cost. For when we start to alter it, to us, the truth gets lost. The pillar and ground truth. Now Paul is writing to Timothy to help them understand how they're to behave. Did you read that at the first part of the verse? Look at it. If I delay, you may know how you ought to behave. So how do you deal with this thing? How do you deal with the culture in which we live? How is the church to be authentic and relevant in our culture? Let me ask another question. Should the church be involved with social issues of the day? Huh? And if so, how? Should our students have a time when they study social studies and deal with the stuff in our culture. I want to give you some principles this morning that I trust will, will help us know how we're to behave in the culture in which we live. And if we have time, we're going to talk very quickly about right to life specifically. Here's the first principle. God's people are to live as involved citizens. Not only citizens of the country, but citizens of the community. We are to pray for our leaders. We are to be involved, Romans chapter 13, in our governmental process. Now, some of you may be sitting there and thinking, you know what, preacher? This world's not my home. I'm just passing through. That's true. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, a home for you. Some may say, well, I'm a stranger and a foreigner. I'm an alien. Well, that's true, too. Or we're simply exiles. But wherever we are, we are. That was profound, wasn't it? 
wherever we are, we are. And wherever we are, the things around us affect us. And wherever we are, we live in the culture in which we live. And you and I need to be responsible citizens, involved citizens, where we are. That's what salt and light's all about, right? That's what we are as workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained. We are to be involved citizens. You can't just live and let live. Principle number two. We must obey God rather than man. That comes out of Acts chapter 5 where Peter was arrested for preaching the gospel. And if God said it, that settles it. Whether or not it's comfortable. And you and I must understand that this pillar and buttress of truth is God-given and we must obey God no matter what. Amen? If God said it, it applies to us and we must live it out. Whether we want to or not. It's not easy. Principle number three. The Bible gives us some examples to follow. Remember old Elijah? prophets of Baal remember him God had him stand as one of 700 although Elijah thought he was by himself (laughs) remember Daniel Daniel said I will not defile myself with the king's meat how about his three friends Shadrach Meshach and Abednego who wouldn't bow How about Daniel's prayer? How about Jesus? When he was faced with the cultural challenges, this woman taken in adultery deserved to be stoned. Jesus never said she she wasn't an adulteress. He just said, if you're without sin, you, you throw the first stone. And then he said to the adulteress, go, don't, don't do that anymore. It's not right. Go sin no more. Jesus came and challenged injustice. Whether it was the poor, afflicted, the religious regulation of the day, good example to follow, isn't it? Number four, the Bible under truth gives God's children the freedom to live out their own conscience for him. Now by this I mean it all falls under the umbrella of truth, right? Truth does not change. But God has called each of us to different areas of ministry. That's what the body's all about. 
And God has given you and me the freedom to live out our conscience. There, there, there are some things that really tweak you, right? Some things that really tweak me that I get burned about, I get passionate about. And God's given us that freedom. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 talks about the weaker brother. Talks about not offending the weaker brother. But if the weaker brother can eat according to his conscience, you can let him eat according to his conscience. It's okay. And if I may not be involved in your cause and you may not be involved in my cause, that's okay. We still have to live out truth. But we have real freedom within the body of, of Christ. And lastly, the gospel, the truth of the gospel cannot, must not, be overshadowed by some form of social activism. Because it's all about the gospel. Let me illustrate it this way. Let's say that all mankind has gathered at a railroad station. Believers are getting on the northbound train. Unbelievers are getting on the southbound train. Now, you have a choice. Do you try to convince those on the southbound train that they're going the wrong direction? Or do you spend your time cleaning up the station? You see, it's about the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ that makes a difference. And so we ask ourselves, how do we become authentic and relevant as the household of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and buttress of truth? How do we behave? We better get involved. Right now I'm making a decision in my mind. What do I do with the rest of this message? Thank you very much. I just got somebody's permission to preach it. <laughs> if the rest of you disagree with that, I don't even know who said preach it, but thank you. All right, very quickly this morning. There's a website that gives to us the, the top five social issues of our day. And the way they've identified these social issues is by having people vote. And so let me, let me give them to you very quickly this morning. Number five, LGBTQ adoption rights. This is the fifth top social issue of our day. Number four, Religious Freedom Act. Should businesses be able to deny service to a customer when it conflicts there? That's number four social issue. Number three, Planned Parenthood. But should the government fund Planned Parenthood? Number two, gay marriage. Second top 
social issue of our day. But you know what was number one? Abortion. Isn't that interesting? Throughout our country, the number one social issue of the day had to do, that's good news, folks. People are at least thinking about it. Now, what is our response to that issue? Again, very quickly. Our response is, know what the Bible says. Truth, right? Know what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? Life begins at conception and ends according to the will of God. Amen? Fearfully and wonderfully made, Jeremiah said, before I was born, the Lord knew me. And the psalmist says, if we live past 70, life gets tough. So teach us to number our days. Because our days are in his hands. All life. Life's precious to God. Amen? You and I are precious to God. So precious that God sent his son to die for us. God so loved the world, mankind, that he gave. His, life is precious to God. God is not some kind of disinterested party that doesn't care about what's going on down here. God cares so much. That he gave his son to die on the cross for you and for me. Heaven's opened to all who will trust Christ as personal Savior. Amen? That's all it takes. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And that ought to help us when we're dealing with the right to life issue. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, no matter what happens in your life. Amen? I believe in the freedom of choice. And the freedom of choice that I believe in is defined this way. No matter where you are in life, you can choose to receive Jesus Christ as personal Savior, no matter what you're facing, planned or unplanned. But it has to come under truth. It has to come under truth. So how do we respond to that? Do we care about what the Bible says? I mean, really. Do we care about what the Bible says? Do we love people like God loves people? I mean, people are hurting. People are struggling. People are dealing with stuff today that they've never had to deal, deal with in the history of mankind. And they are legitimate in their struggle. We may say, ah, you shouldn't have to worry about that. Well, here they worried about that. We need to love people. Remember what Jesus said unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Absolutely. Remember how he was concerned about the multitudes that came to hear him preach? He said, give them something to eat. 
morning in my quiet time, I read about how Mary anointed the feet of Jesus with costly ointment. <laughs> Do you remember what the religious people were worried about? What Judas was worried about. <laughs> that, that, that thing could have been sold and, and given to, to the poor people. Judas was a treasurer when he said that. What did Jesus say? He's anointing my feet because there's something better coming. Remember how Mary and Martha were hurting when Lazarus died? So what do we do? We share the gospel, right? We share the gospel. alternatives is there to share the gospel and we can come alongside organizations of like precious faith whether it's praying with them see Amanda after this service I, I don't know how many you have on your list Amanda but I'd love for Calvary Baptist Church to be a significant part of that it's just an opportunity to pray maybe you can help move maybe you can bring in an item maybe you can donate a some, some clothing. I don't know what you can do. Everybody can do something. And nobody can do everything. But we need it. So we come back again. We need to ask God, what would you have me to do? How would you have me to be authentic and relevant wherever I am? I live in this culture. What would you have me to do? And the whole deal is, in my life, Lord, be glorified. Be glorified. In my life, Lord, be glorified.